Are you ready to reach the mountaintop of your life? Do you want to turn your dreams into your reality? If that sounds like you, then welcome to the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast. I'm so excited for this episode, talking with Brooke Elder, all about what she has done to build this business. She's built a seven-figure business, and she's done it while being a mom, raising kids, having all sorts of responsibilities, and she's been able to do this in a way that has not only made her money, but made an impact made a difference in the world. And I'm very excited to talk to her today because it's going to benefit all of you who are building businesses or those of you who have already built a business, but now want to scale it to that next level. So Brooke, welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome, Brooke. Well, to get started, can you tell us about um, creating this business? Now we're going to go through a couple different Obviously, there is a timeline. There's a timeline and things go up and down and all that kind of stuff. I love talking with business owners who are open to talk about uh, their business success, talk about the numbers they've had, talk about those kind of things, because people get very inspired by it. Now, you have done something that many people aspire to, which is building a seven-figure business. So let's talk about that. How did you do that? I know that's a big, long answer, but tell us about building a seven-figure business. Well, I it's funny because at the time, I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur and I've done lots of different businesses. And um, right before I started my coaching business, my husband and I were actually doing a car dealership together and oh, wow. it did not go well. We put all of our savings, like we cashed out our 401k, we maxed out our credit cards, like everything to start this business. And it totally failed. Like we lost all of our money in about 18 months. And we got to a point where my husband was like, I think we're going to have to file bankruptcy because I don't see any way out of this. Wow. I had had this idea to start this coaching business for a while, but I was really scared too, because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know how to like get my name out there and all of that. So um, I started really searching to be like, okay, how can I start this business? And I found a coach and I talked to him. It sounded really, really good, exactly what I needed. And then came out, it was $10,000 to work with him. And my exact words were, I think I'm going to throw up. (laughs) Like I just felt I knew that it's what I needed to do, but I was like, I don't know where I'm going to come up with this money. And if I tell my husband, Hey, honey, I want to invest $10,000. I know that we have no money and we're going to file bankruptcy. But so I went behind his back and opened up multiple credit cards so I could pay for it. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? If you're already going to file bankruptcy, you know, know. it's, it's like, well, <laughs> go big or go home, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I did this coaching program like I was in the closet doing all of the coaching meetings and stuff because I didn't want my husband to know what I was doing. And I just like pedal to the metal, got everything done that I needed to. And I made 10,000 my first month. And then it was 20,000 wow. the next month, 30,000 the next month. So, and then in 18 months, I had a seven figure business, which was crazy, but. 
and literally the first month. You're not talking about taking a month to get things going and get things together. You're saying literally within the first 30 days you had. Well, I, so I signed up for the program the beginning of July. I launched my program, my coaching program, August 1st. And that first month I did 10,000. Wow. So you had a little bit of time to just kind of get things together. And by the time you launched, boom, you had that first month. So let's talk about that. Like what, what did you do in that first month to be able to get there right away? Now, a lot of people want to start something. I think mistakenly what they do is they go, okay, well, I'm new. So I should start with a low price. I should start with, you know, and kind of grow their way up. I'm guessing you didn't do that. Tell me about what you did in that first month. What did the business structure look like at the time? What were you doing for marketing at the time? Uh, how did that How did that work? So I, I was selling an eight-week coaching program for $3,000. Okay. And I just wasn't afraid to talk to people. So it, it was, I, a part of it was I had a warm audience a little bit. So my, my program was coaching network marketers, teaching them how to grow their business online. And I had been doing network marketing for about seven years and the last three years, they had changed the compensation plan and it cut my paycheck in half when they changed the compensation plan. So I went from making really good money, not making money. And so I was, and like half my team left, like it was, it was a big deal. And so I had kind of lost the passion for network marketing, but I had all of these connections. So it was easy for me because when I had hired this coach, I was thinking that I actually was going to go and try to help bloggers grow their business because that's what I really knew. The business that I was kind of doing on the side before this was a web design marketing agency. And like, it was doing okay. We were making like 50,000 a year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for a little side hustle, like that's not too bad, but I was like, how can I turn this into like something that's not me on the computer working till 2am building websites and doing marketing. And so I was going to help bloggers. But then when I was talking with him, he said, well, you know, what's lowest hanging fruit. So I had a email list of a thousand network marketers. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to create a program for network marketers and just teach them how I built my business. And right. so that's what I did. And I mean, I, I grew that business and ran that business for, oh, I'm still running it for seven years now. And it's given me the opportunity to see all the other things too, that I want to do. I think a lot of the times what happens is people they maybe they don't love the target audience or something that they're really good at and they could create a business and make pretty easy money at it because of what they have. But they may not be super passionate about that because there were times I wasn't passionate about network marketing, you know? Right. But when I saw what I could do to help other people who were passionate about it, that's what made me passionate about it because I wanted to help Mm. other people. You know, so just because I wasn't passionate about network marketing doesn't mean that I couldn't still help people who were, you know. I think that's really important what you share there. There, There's a couple different sides to our businesses, especially so many of us who are coaches and speakers and consultants and those kind of things. We tend to be creative types. We tend to be people who are driven by our passion and our desires. And they're... 
there's this conflicting, not only feeling internally, but also I find that there's a, a lot of conflicting information in terms of in the coaching space. And there's this, this talk all the time about do what you're passionate about, do what you're passionate about. And if you're not loving every minute of it, then you shouldn't do it. And I just, I don't think that that is how business works all the time Mm -hmm. because things shift and things change and what you're passionate about can change day to day. I do think that you have to have passion overall, but that passion could be about the lifestyle that you're creating. The passion, like it, it needs to be put into a container. So if it's just passion without any kind of a container, that's the kind of people that just go boom, 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 here and there and all over the place. But the people who really succeed say, you know what? I, yeah, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but I'm going to choose that one and I'm going to stick to it and I'm going to make it successful, which then opens you up for all these different opportunities. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I hear it all the time, like you need to build a business around your passions. Like that's, like you said, that's what's being really preached out there. Right. And there are some times where your passion is not something you can actually build a business around, you know? So it's better to build around your knowledge and build around, like, I, I mean, I could create a whole business teaching people how to create their own web design and marketing agency because I created that, built it up and ended up selling that business, you know? So that, but there's no part of that, that I'm passionate about at all. You know, right. like even the thought of like helping people do that. I'm like, yeah, I'd much rather do something else. <laughs> right. Know? Right. So- I, I, I teach a, a Venn diagram where we got the three different circles and one of them is like, okay, what are you passionate about? What do you want to do? What, what are the things that you want to do? The second one is where do you already have credibility? So what do I, like, you can think of it as, what do you want to do? And then what do other people want from you? And then lastly, what's the one that's going to give you the lifestyle that you want to have? So something might give you the income, but it's not going to give you the freedom that you want. Something else might give you the freedom, but it's not going to give you the income that you want or vice versa. And what you find in the middle between lifestyle, passion, and credibility, what's going to be in the middle, it still might be two or three things and maybe you have to make a choice. But I think in choosing a business, we have to look at what the opportunity is and what you're talking about, about you're coming from the network marketing world. What are they always talking about? We're always talking about an opportunity. Here's the opportunity. Here's another opportunity. And I think that business owners, well, first of all, if you're a coach, you are a business owner and you need to start thinking that way. But if we think as a business owner, we have to look at what's the opportunity and you don't see like, you know, I drove by a snow shack earlier today. So, you know, shaved ice with flavors in it, whatever. That's all they do. I'm sure the people who own that also go, well, I like this food and I like that food and I like this, but putting a shack on the corner where you can hire people to sell these snow cones, I can't have 17 different offerings within that. I need to focus on something. So I think you bring up a really good point about looking for the opportunity. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that idea of like where your three areas meet. Cause that really is the key because you need to have passion about what it is you're doing. Cause there's going to be times where it's hard. And I think every single business owner gets to that point where you don't want to do it anymore. 
and you wish right. that you could just like push it off to someone else and say, I just want to be done. Like there's times where I'm like, I don't want to be business owner, Brooke. I just want to be Brooke Elder and be a mom. And that's it. That I don't want anything else. You know, you have those moments, but the passion right. for what you do is what brings you back in and helps you to keep going. Right. So, okay. So you started out right away. You said something um, that you kind of brushed past. And I want to, I want to hit on this. You said, well, I, uh, first month we were already at 10,000. So that means now with that $3,000 payment, were you doing a $3,000 program that you were starting with? Was that something that you offered payments for, or was it? I didn't at first because I needed cash flow. (laughs) Right. So you, you got three or four of those. So you got some, you know, got three or four of those in month one, which is great. And that's, you know, for all of you listening, why selling something that has a a higher value, a higher price point is so much easier because you have three wins, you have three wins and all of a sudden it's life-changing where when all these people decide to start out small and go, I'm going to create a $47 a month program and I'm going to scale it to the moon and it's going to be awesome. I go, great. But right now, you don't have all that marketing. You don't have all those dollars to put into the marketing and you don't have a system to bring people in. So it's going to take effort for you to bring people in. And I would argue that the effort that it takes to get one person to buy your program at $47 a month is not that different from getting one person to pay $3,000 for a program. Would you agree with that, Brooke? Absolutely. So we... um the just this last year, our program went up to $10,000. So we were selling a $10,000 program. And then we recently switched to a $247 a month program, like offer. And our sales team is doing the exact same thing. And their closing rates are almost the same. 250 bucks versus 10,000. Same thing. Right. Uh, That it's so interesting how that is. Now, Obviously, your marketing is different. Your who you're attracting is different. All of those kind of things are different. But this is why I'm a big proponent of that. As you go, okay, so if you have a three thousand dollar program, and okay, you're telling me if you spend all of your time talking to people, building you know conversations and all that. Hopefully, you don't have to. But if you do, okay, whatever. You spend all of your time talking to people, having conversations, individual reach outs, all that kind of stuff. I think you can get three people to say yes. And if you get three people to say yes at $3,000, that's nine, $9,000. But if you get three people to say yes at 47 bucks, that's $141. Your life is not changed at $141, not at all. But for most people, $9,000 coming in, especially if you're doing all the work yourself, so your profit margin is extremely high, if that's something you're bringing in, um, that is life-changing. You know, most people can can leave their job if that's what they're making. Most people can go, great, I'm it. I'm doing this professionally. I'm full-time here. And it's something that, that I think a lot about. And the reason why is because I think that people do the low-ball price point to start out with just because of self-worth, just because mm-hmm. of not feeling uh, credible or feeling ready or any of those kind of things. How would you say that someone, since you dove right in, what would you say to someone who's struggling with that, having a hard time um, believing in their worth? Well, 
And like, I kind of even went through that when I was pricing out my program at first. And the only reason that I felt okay doing $3,000 when I was just getting started and had no clue what I was doing. And I was selling a program that I had even built, you know, it was mapped out and that was it. Um, but I was selling websites for three to $4,000, you know? So because I already had something that kind of helped me like transfer that belief in myself that I could do it, right? you know, but I see it with my clients all the time. They create these awesome programs and they're like, yeah, I'm going to charge $300. And I'm like, and you're giving them one-on-one attention for three months and like all this stuff. I'm like, that's not worth your time to do that. Yeah. How, how is that going to work? Right. And it's helping them see what the outcome that they're creating is and what is that outcome worth to the person you're creating it for. And that's where you put the value. Mm. And it's not, it's not because they're not buying you, they're buying the outcome. So that way it helps with those worth issues at the beginning, because now it's not about me and my self-worth and what people are paying me. It's that this is the outcome that I'm selling. I will sell that outcome. People will pay me a lot of money for that outcome. And I will help them as long as it takes to get them that outcome. And if you can be committed to that, then it's a lot easier to sell high ticket when you're first getting started. Right. So you said you went from month one, 10K to building a seven-figure business within 18 months. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that year and a half. What did that year and a half look like? How did you go from 10 up to, you know, probably over $80,000 a month to be able to hit that seven figure level. So what happened? How did you go from, I'm assuming being a one person operation to a much bigger team, to a much bigger scalable uh, opportunity? Just kind of give us the timeline and the story of that year and a half. Well, I looked at what are the things that are most time consuming and the things that I hate doing. <laughs> and oh, the first great. one was sales. Like, I mean, I don't mind doing sales and I did my own sales calls and everything, but it got to a point where if I was spending all my time on sales calls, I couldn't do anything else. So right. that was the first thing that I needed to hire. So um, I hired some salespeople and I didn't know what I was doing. I had never hired anyone before. I went to school to be an elementary school teacher and I taught first grade. So Mm. like (laughs) sales and like trying to train people how to do sales and pick a good salesperson. Like I went through a lot of people and my biggest mistake in hiring a salesperson was I got to a point where I was so done with taking sales calls that I hired someone who he sounded great. And I was like, all right, here you go. And I gave him all the calls for two weeks. And I was like, I'm out. You just sell for me. And in doing that, he didn't do any sales in two weeks. Mm. And so I was like, how much money have I lost now? Because I wasn't also on the call. So I think I would go back to my younger self and say, when you're hiring someone, like just give them a few calls, see how that goes, see how you can coach them and help them, you know, because I was to a point where I'm like, I'm just done. So, but I found some good salespeople. I had a really good sales trainer who said he'd come and help me and find some people and, and train them. So once my sales team started going, then I started like- So you weren't doing the sales training. You even outsourced the training as well. Yeah, because I That's didn't great. know what I was doing. So I found someone okay. else. That great. So, so you outsourced the like, sales. Then what else did you outsource there? Customer service. 
So, cause it's just, that's one of the first things that I would say to outsource, like someone to answer emails and support stuff. Cause you have things like great things come into your email and you have horrible things that come into your email. You know, right. like I had someone just like chew me out because I sent them an email and like, it was super, super long. It was like three paragraphs. Yeah. On, I was ruining just it. once you've only well, had that once. <laughs> I've had it a lot of times, but <laughs> like the first one that, that happened, I was like, I read it and I like started to cry and I like gave it to my husband and I'm like, what do I do? And he said, he saw how long it was. He read the first line and said, she's crazy and clicked delete. <laughs> and that was like the very best thing for me. Cause I was like, I don't have to engage with these people, you know? Right. So that was really helpful. But then just having someone who kind of feels that for you. So, cause it does, it doesn't matter how long you've been in business, you're going to have that imposter syndrome come up and people are going to know what those little things are. And they're going to hit you on those things. And you're going to be like, Oh, I've been in business for so long. I've created a seven figure business, but they said that one thing that's going to trigger me, you know? And right. so it, it just helps having somebody else take care of that for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. So you outsourced sales, you outsourced customer service. Was there anything else that you were outsourcing during that time? And then um, I started adding in other coaches. So then mm. it wasn't just me. I love that. You know, just kind of a, a thought for everyone listening. You think about whatever business it is, you, you're going to have to do marketing. You're going to have to do sales. You're going to have to fulfill on that product. And you're going to have to do admin. All of those take time. And if you're doing all of them, it's just not going to work. But the biggest two, the one two that take the most time are sales and fulfillment. So for the coaches out there, if you want to scale your business beyond that ceiling that so many of us hit, the first thing is you're going to have to outsource one of those. You know, you, you have to turn one of them, whether it's outsourcing or turning it into a group method whatever it is, you're going to have to make one of those scalable. Uh, ideally, you make all of them scalable. But if it doesn't matter how much you sell, if all you're doing is one-on-one -on -one coaching, eventually you're going to run out of hours in the day. Yeah, for sure. So I looked at what was taking the most time and it was sales and fulfillment. And I love the marketing side. So I've always kept the marketing side, but everything else, like I outsourced. Right. And so with that being said, so the marketing side, because I, I think that there's now this episode is ideally for now anyone, obviously, if you're listening to this and you're not this, no problem. This episode is ideally for someone who's already doing, let's say, eight to twelve thousand dollars a month in business, and you're wanting to scale it beyond that. I find that in the coaching world for most people, that eight to twelve tends to be the ceiling that most people hit uh, when they're just a, when they're a non-scalable business. So it's not always when they are just themselves, because sometimes they can do a scalable thing, but when they're non-scalable, that tends to be that limit. And so people who want to scale up, but I think what a lot of people might be thinking right now is, okay, Brooke, that sounds great. You're hire salespeople, but who are they talking to? How, how are they like if I hired a bunch of salespeople, what would they even do? You know, I can't even get on the phone with more people. So how, where do these leads come from? What should I do with marketing so that I can 
actually scale my sales up? So I've done a lot of things because in being in business and doing this for seven years, the market changes a lot, you know? So seven years ago, I could run an ad to a webinar that says, hey, book a call. And it was like a new thing. Not a lot of people were doing that, you know? So we were getting 300 calls booked in a month. And that was like normal. And what year was that? So that was 2016, 17 and 18, really. Those three years, like... I thought that I had the Midas touch because there was never a month we weren't profitable. We were making a crap ton of money. Like I was having a hundred thousand dollar profit months, you know, and then Facebook started changing things and then webinars stopped working as well as they used to. And I went from paying $30 for a booked call to $300 for a booked call, you know, Mm. and so I've done a lot of different things, but the thing that helped the most was having content, free content out there for people to consume that always led to one thing. And I think that's the biggest mistake that people make when they're, because it's like, we've got to be everywhere. We've got to be on every social media platform and all of this stuff. And like, they give all these different calls to actions. And our calls to action always went to book a call because that was the way that we would sell people. Mm. So if it was like I had a podcast for three years and that either went to book a call, join our Facebook group. And in the Facebook group, we were getting them to book a call, you know, or go follow us on Instagram. And then on Instagram, we were getting us to book a call. So creating this like web of all these different places that you can be talking about your content, but it all leads back to a center of one thing. And that's how you can create. So that way it doesn't matter what marketing piece you're using. You can like say webinars weren't working great. We pulled that. We started doing five-day challenges. That worked really well. And everything was still leading to that one thing, which was to book a call. Right. And and I think that that's such a powerful thing, taking the time to build out a system and do that. Like you said, things tend to change. And I have found that with everything changing over the years, the one thing that's always been consistent is if we can get someone on a call, our sales are going to go great. If we can get people on a call, we're going to make sales. Where webinar sales change, stage sales change, you know, low ticket prices with a with a value ladder that change. All of these things change, but the one thing that just doesn't seem to change maybe the way to get them there changes. But just to mm-hmm. get people on a call and be able to have a real conversation with them, nothing, you know, that just doesn't change. Yeah. Well, and it's because it's a way to create the create connection, you know, especially with Zoom now. Like when we first started, we were doing like phone calls, you know, and right. when we switched to Zoom, our sales increased by 17%. Like nothing else changed. It's just we went from people talking on the phone to doing Zoom. Wow. So, people face to face and like you could, which then we started training our sales team about like body language. And so Mm. they can start seeing how people, like if they're leaning forward, it means that they actually want more information. If you see people leaning back, then you know, okay, they're either getting bored or they're not like interested in this. And our sales team, like they'll call them out and be like, so is this not what you're looking for? You know, Mm. 
just based off of their body language, not what they're saying. So it becomes a very powerful tool to just get people on a call so you can see them and connect with them. And, and it also um, helps for you to see what it is that you have to offer. And I always look at it as whatever you're selling, it's a solution for them and they get to decide, can I, am I going to take that solution or not? And sometimes you need to create a little like spin on your solution. So that way it's going to help them exactly where they're at. And you can't do that when you have like a a fully automated funnel with here's a landing page and just buy because it's not going to speak exactly to them and their pain points and what they need. Right. Because it's not customizable. Mm -hmm. It's not customizable. I think sometimes people get, I'm not saying everyone, but I think many people get lazy and what they want to do is to create something that um, is one thing for everyone. Here's this one thing for everyone. And they want to do that so that, okay, I can just send it there and let that do the work where Mm -hmm. like, what I love about your story is there's so many people you're not alone to say that you don't really love sales. You don't really love sales. You can do it, but you don't really love it. And I think what a lot of people do is they go, I'm going to create an automated sales system. I'm going to create an automated, no people involved sales system. And they just do it. So they avoid sales. Mm -hmm. And you just said, well, why don't I just build a team of salespeople? Why don't I do that instead? And then you are able to still get the same thing. Maybe it's more work up front, but it works where Mm -hmm. when you're trying to do the other, it's like, you got to be really, really good at what you're doing to be able to make significant sales from a website, from Mm -hmm. a funnel where when you can have a conversation with them, you can hit on those pain points. Right. Right. Well, and it takes constant tweaking and it's, I would say six to eight months to really get your funnel like dialed in enough to get it to work and to sell from. So where you can just get on the phone with someone and talk with them or get on zoom with them and be able to sell from day one. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, looking back at this, you've built this big team, you've put together this big business and you moved from being a business operator to being a CEO being a CEO, being a business owner, what kind of growing pains came with that? What kind of lessons came? Growing pains and lessons is what I'm curious of in that transition from being the operator to being the owner. Well, I I mean, I always had different coaches throughout this whole thing. And I had hired a coach and they said, whatever you're doing something, can someone else do this? And if it is, you need to hire someone to do it. So I had 28 people on my team And because of that, my profit margins like were so low, even though we were bringing in like lots in sales, like 28 people on your team, people on my team. Wow. Yeah. And because I kept thinking, well, in order to scale, I need to hire this person because then we'll be able to scale and then I can free up my time because that's what like that is what is being preached out there. You know, like if you're spending your time answering emails, you need to have an admin be able to go and answer the emails for you so that way you can focus on the things that are really going to make you money. It's a good theory, but for me, it did not work because I 
kept like I was hiring all of these people to do all of these things because I was be getting prepared to scale, yet I was stuck in that for about a year, prepared to scale, you know. And I read um, the book Traction, and I, so then I was like, oh well, I need an integrator, so that way I can just be the CEO and the visionary, and they can go and get everything done. And I had an integrator for nine months paid him a ton of money. And it got to the point where I'm like, I don't even know what he's really been doing. So I let him go and nothing changed in my business. Nothing. Mm. I was like, okay. So, and my husband, he's, he's a very quiet person, but when he says things like they're usually pretty on point. And he said to me, why are you trying to scale through people instead of through systems? And like, cause I love tech and I love building things and automations and all of that. And I was trying to automate my business with people instead of automating it with systems and tools. So that was really that like pivot moment where I was like, okay, what is it that I'm actually having all these people do? And is there a way that I can automate it through a system instead of through a person? Mm. And in about four months, I went from a team of 28 to a team of seven. I cut my expenses by $50,000 a month. That one sink in, (laughs) you know, and my business is more automated and runs much smoother and has so much less drama than ever before. Wow. That's so cool. What a cool thing to see that whole experience, that whole story. Now, something we talked about before that I think can be very inspiring to the people listening is you created this business while your, your children were very young when you were starting this business. And so how did you, how did you handle that? How did you handle being a mom of young children and building this business at the same time? I think that's something that a lot of people are going to be excited to hear about. Yeah, it, it is tricky. So when I started this business, my youngest was two and So I would work during nap times and stuff. I mean, it does. I have an amazing husband who he decided he was running his own business and I was trying to start this one. And he said to me, like, he's like, our, our kids need a parent. And I think your business is going to be better than mine. So I'm going to let you run and I'll be the stay at home dad, Mm. which I'd always done little things on the side, but the pressure of like, now I'm the one making money. Like, right. It was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm sure all the guys listening, like you feel that, but like, it was a very different experience for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like you get into, like, you love your business, you love what you do, and you can just sit and go, 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 go. Because there are times where I sit up here in my office and then I'm like, oh yeah, I have kids. Like, I need to not be sitting right here because you get so focused on what you're doing, you know? sure. So I've just learned that I have to set boundaries for myself and that, like, I stop working at four o'clock because that's when I want to need to go and be with my kids, you know, and I give myself one day a week where I can just work as long as I want to, because I love doing what I do. Mm. So I give myself permission to let that part of me be free. And like, you just work until you want to stop. 
one day a week, but the rest of the week, like I'm done at four and I have an alarm that goes off that says you're done. Cause I also am someone like, I don't want to leave things undone. And so, and I'm also really, really bad at knowing how long things take. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, it can be in a project and I'm like, Oh, this only take me five more minutes. And then I go through and I do it. I look at the clock and I'm like, Oh, that was an hour, <laughs> you know? Right. So just keeping those commitments to yourself and, and it also helps to like, having special time that you do with your kids, you know, because mm. it's, I, I had a mentor once talked about time management and not as in like, we have to have this balance, you know, cause everyone talks about that work-life balance and it's not ever right. balanced. And if you think of like a symphony, there's lots of different instruments in a symphony. And at sometimes maybe like the flutes are really loud and you can really hear them. And then other time you're going to hear the violins. And that's kind of what our life is like. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times where our work self, our business self is really going to be the one that's playing a little bit louder. But then there's times that that one needs to be a little bit more quiet. And then our parent self really needs to be out there shining. And so right. having this, like our life is kind of this ebb and flow, but allowing ourselves to to give really it's that permission of it's okay if I am like all in work right now, but when I am mom, like I am all in with my kids and I'm mom and I don't like check my phone and like try to do a little bit of work here while I'm still trying to be mom. I think that's the mistake that a lot of us make because it's hard because we want to be there for our clients and stuff because they're paying us money and we feel like that responsibility that we need to be there. But if you're not also giving that same focus to your kids, you're mm. going to miss out because they're actually the most important things. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I love that. Now, what's so cool is that that statement that you made about how can I scale with systems? How can I, I scale with tech rather than it always needing to be more and more and more people? And so you're really, you're like that, that queen of automating is kind of what I, what I see. And Angela and I had a discussion about that, about you and talking about how you've been able to do that. And because of that, you created a software that is basically all the things that you're doing. And you've created that for other coaches, for other people, for other business owners. Tell us a little little bit about that software and how it can help the people listening to this to, to grow their businesses. Well, when I looked at all of the things that I was doing and I wanted to automate it, I because I had that web development side, I went back to my development team and I was like, all right, here's all the things that I want to do. Cause I'm tired of paying for like Kajabi and ClickFunnels and Kartra and this and that, you know, and having a spreadsheet that I have to keep track of, of all the different places that I'm spending money. So right. I wanted it all in one place. And when it's all in one place, it makes automations much, much easier. And so we came up with this software and I had been using it in my business for the last three years. And when I started talking to people and saying, yeah, now in that business, I work like 10, 15 minutes a day. I go in, do the things that I need to do. And then like, I'm done because everything else has been automated. And when I was telling people that they were like, well, I wanted that in my business too. And so we have now created it for other coaches to run their business. So it's really everything that you would ever need 
to run a successful coaching business. And it doesn't matter if you have 10 clients or like in my coaching program right now, we have 2,500 people going through that program. Mm. And you have to have those systems in place to be able to handle that many people. And I thought I was going to need way more coaches and all this other stuff in order to serve 2,500 people every single month. But you actually just need automations and setting things up strategically, like when you reach out to them, when you post things into your community and all of that based off of where they're at in that client journey, because there's, there's times where you can automate. And I've made this mistake where I automated things and my clients knew that everything was automated and they felt like they were getting left behind. Mm. So And I think that's a lot with like, say you have an eight-week coaching program and you're sending out emails. You have someone who signed up. They should be on week five, but really life happened and they're only on week three. So they get an email on, congratulations, you're on week five. And they're like, I suck. Like, why should I even go and get in and do this program? You know, because I'm so behind and stuff. But if you they start week three and then you send them an email right then that says, Hey, I saw you just started week three. I'm so glad that you're keeping going. That makes them feel like you're right there. You're holding their hand, working, walking with them all the way through. And that's what makes automation really powerful and work when it actually is helping the clients and also freeing up your time. It's gotta be a win-win for both. Well, and you make a good point because I think sometimes people think about, automation as something that's just helping us and not helping the client, but you go, well, how much does it help the client? If, okay, if you're so committed to making sure all your follow-ups are directly from you and not automated, how much does it help that client when I forget to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, when I forget to do it, or forget to do it. So you set up the automation and I think that's, what's really cool. What's cool about this software is that it's not only a, marketing platform, but also the actual deliverability of the coaching and and enhancing um, your ability to be able to serve that client at the the best way possible. So how can people find out more about this? So the best way is to go to systemswithstrategy.com. And we have a demo video on there and you can see all of the stuff that it does on that website. That's awesome. Well, Brooke, this has been such a pleasure, such an honor. Um, to, to finish this off, what's your, what's your top piece of advice for someone who is in that low six-figure range who wants to get up into that seven-figure range? What's your top advice for them? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I would probably say if you're at like that six figures and you're ready to scale, is really start thinking about the systems that you need. You know, what is it? And I always look at like fulfillment wise, because fulfillment is what takes the most time. And if you can automate and scale your fulfillment, then it gives you that confidence that you can scale your marketing, you can scale your sales, because you know, once that you take someone's money, they're going to be taken care of. So it's mapping out what do you want that client journey to be? Mm. What do you want them to feel and experience every step of the way with working with you? And when you're very, very clear on that, then it one makes it easy to put the systems into place. Then once that's all into place, it makes it so it's a lot easier to scale sales and marketing. Love that. 
Love that. That's awesome. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing your wisdom. It was absolutely awesome. We have a tradition here on the Mountaintop Motivation Podcast that is every episode ends with a virtual fist bump. So give me a virtual fist bump right here. Thank you. (laughs) Boom. There you go. Well, that's it. Thank you. That was awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something great out of it. And most importantly, I hope that you're going to implement something that you learned in this episode because nothing happens until you take action. If you're a six or seven figure entrepreneur who's looking to uplevel your network with a group of people who also have a rising tide lifts all boats attitude, then come and join our exclusive network of successful entrepreneurs by going to mtmsuccess.com slash rising tide.